Hey, welcome back to Bold Perceptions. Got a great episode today focused on your health. Your health. Um, it's with a chiropractic student uh, who's very passionate and knowledgeable about the field. I personally see a chiropractor when I'm back home, and it's actually Aaron's, the, the person on the podcast today's uh, mentor in the field. I love getting adjusted. I come out of it uh, feeling very good, and um, I, I totally recommend trying out a chiropractor. Now, um, we also go into more health things in this episode, so it's not just about a chiropractor. But hey, I learned how to cook my first Italian meal the other day in quarantine. It's called pasta ragu. Um, it was good. It was really good. So I'm going to keep trying to be productive, fill in my time in this uh, quarantine, in this lockdown. And yeah, it's it's interesting times. But hey, you will enjoy this episode. A lot of knowledge here, a lot of action steps to take to improve your health. Remember, one thing could totally change um, your life if you start implementing some of these different things. So thank me later once you find that one thing in this episode. And don't forget to like, subscribe, write reviews, message us on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram. If you have my personal phone number, you can do that too. And uh, yeah, let's build this community. Let's uh, connect the doers, share positive energy, and and build and create with one another. So enjoy the episode. That's the sound of me cracking my knuckles because we got a chiropractor in the house. We are back, bold perceptions. This is George looking at Jake. And we got a guest today. His name is Aaron. And uh, Aaron's actually an eighth trimester doctorate at uh, chiropractic school over in Northwestern Health Sciences University. And uh, Aaron, you want to say hi to your fans? My fans. Yeah, that's a great intro with the knuckle crack. I love it. Thank you, Jake. I know you like cracking your knuckles. You want to crack your neck or anything? I just, <laughs> I did right before we started, I did. So I don't know if I got any left in me. Um, so yeah, welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Excited to have you on today. You want to just kind of give yourself a little introduction on who you are and what you do? Yeah, uh, I'm glad to be on here and to be able to talk about this stuff. Um, so yeah, like uh, like George said on the intro, uh, I'm in my, my eighth trimester, which for those who don't know, Cairo School is 10 trimesters, at least at Northwestern. So all the programs across the country are about three and a half, three and three quarters uh, years. Uh, and they come after undergrad and then you kind of progress out into the field or you go on to a residency, kind of whatever you choose to do. But yeah, I'm in my eighth term. So that means I got about a year left until I'm out. So I'm just wrapping up my uh, clinical internship, my first, um, my first go with my clinical internship. So getting a little further away from sitting in lecture halls all day and studying and getting a little bit more hands-on uh, face-to-face -face kind of interactions and experiences, which is, which is definitely a lot more fun and uh, a much needed change of pace. And unfortunately though, obviously, you know, with all the, uh, the whole pandemic and everything going on right now, our, our internships got cut short, at least temporarily, schools shut down. So I'm just trying to 
make the most of my extra time I got on my hands, learn as much as I can and, you know, be talking to people and kind of spreading a good message on social media. And yeah. Make the, make the, make the most out of it, man. You got to make the most out of what the world deals you. And um, I know we talked a little before this and it sounds like kind of your passion. I wouldn't call it a bone to pick, but something you're passionate about is, um, kind of fixing the health span of people, not really lifespan, but you mentioned modern medicine might have failed us a couple times in a couple places. And I was wondering if you could touch on that right away and just kind of explain what you're thinking along those lines. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, I, I'm super biased because I've got, I've been influenced by some amazing mentors. Um, but to me, and you said it pretty well, it's, uh, modern medicine, yeah, they've a phenomenal job, you know, done the impossible. People can live to be a hundred years old, which I mean, rewind 200 years. And that's like somebody who could do that has magical powers. Right. So the fact that we can live as long as we can live is incredible. Um, however, we do have our pitfalls. Uh, people, they're growing older, younger is the way that I've heard it said and like to say it myself. Uh, and, and there's evidence of it too. It's, it's pretty wild comparing bones and x-rays of people today. We're seeing higher rates of arthritic change in today's 50 year old than we did in people uh, from the pre-industrial area or era. So, you know, we're able to live to a hundred years, but how many of those years are meaningful? Um, so often people are getting comorbidities, whether it be obesity, depression, heart disease, um, anything cardiovascular, arthritis, all of this stuff, uh, as early as like their forties. And then people start getting managed away from their meaningful, meaningful activity. You know, we get convinced by the well-meaning clinician that maybe we shouldn't be moving as much as we are because of the you know, now more or less debunked wear and tear model with arthritis. And um, yeah, so I think where the chiropractor comes in and the physical therapist and the strength and conditioning coach and the athletic trainer, um, all of us have a really important job right now to step up to the plate and expand health span, how many years of your life you're able to continue with the things you care about. Uh, to kind of match what medicine has done for lifespan. We need those to be, you know, a little bit closer uh, in proximity to each other. Okay, interesting. And I, I actually didn't know that this was going on. I didn't know our health span. That's a new term to me, actually. I'm learning things today already, but I didn't <laughs> know that was uh, shortening. And um, so you believe the chiropractor is kind of the savior to this. You, you are the savior to this, Aaron, actually. Screw all well, the other you know, we don't want to, we don't want to be considered saviors. That's, that's a big thing. Uh, my, my biggest mentor, Dr. Craig Liebenson, um, who introduced rehabilitation to chiropractic. Uh, and he, he's a huge influence on the physical medicine world and something he always says, I steal from him. Uh, we don't want to be like Batman with our patients. We don't want to be the hero. We want the patient to be the hero of their own story. We'd rather be like Alfred you know, guide by the side. We want to be facilitators of them, uh, you know, improving their health span and improving their life and, and getting to participate in more meaningful activity. But at the end of it, we 
don't want to be perceived as the ones who fix them. We want to be perceived as kind of more like coaches and we, we help them get there and we gave them some tools, but um, ultimately it comes down to the patient and what they're able to do. And that's, that's one of my, uh, I'll pull it up here. I think that's actually my bio on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, a leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done, they will say, we did it ourselves. Um, I think that's really important because you're putting this, I always say self-efficacy, which is someone's confidence that they're able to complete a task themselves. You're putting that back into the mix. And I think that's missing a lot of the time when all we're doing is giving someone a pill or performing a surgery or cracking their back or, you know, uh, what is the patient doing? That's where that whole Alfred and Batman thing comes in. We want them to be the hero, not us. I like that. It's also, it's kind of like you're restoring belief in themselves, becoming the hero of their own story. I think that's huge, especially, you know, get into all the mindset stuff and it, it starts to instill confidence or instill confidence, especially when you're lacking confidence in that area of your body. But uh, I want to bring it back a second. Um, you said that, our health span today is actually shorter than it was 50, 100 years ago or however long ago it was, which is interesting to me. I would think it would be the opposite. What are we doing in today's day and age that has caused that? Ah, oh, you guys are good at this. Man, I, didn't, I mean, I knew you are good, but it's great. Um, that's an awesome question. And I think it's so many factors. I mean, oh. There's so many contributing pieces to it, but if you just look at lifestyle, first of all, it's less manual labor now, a lot more desk jobs, and we're sitting a lot, right? Like all day for a lot of us. Um, and nobody today is really meeting the physical activity guidelines that are recommended for you know maximizing our health. I know I have it on here. I always keep these slides on me because it always just blows people's mind. Uh, Our kids too, 81% of adolescents around the world are not meeting their uh, recommended daily levels of physical activity, 81%. Um, And that's just when you're young. So if that's that trend starting when you're young, it's going to continue until when you're older. So we're a lot less active than we were. And uh, on top of that, Let's see. I got another one. And a lot of it does boil down to just that physical activity level that we're not hitting. And I know the guidelines says it's um, 150 minutes of moderate physical activity a week or 75 minutes of intense physical activity a week. And then another component that a lot of us like more than anything are missing is uh, twice a week resistance training. And that the biggest piece there is prevention of frailty later in life. So you talk about uh, when we're getting older and we're falling. Uh, I don't know if you guys know the stats on people having uh, hip fractures, like 70-year-olds and up having hip fractures when they fall, but a lot of them tend to die within the year. Uh, Beyond that, because then they're hospitalized, they can't recover because they've aged and they get pneumonia and they're bedridden and a lot of the time that's it. And, and, and the shame of it is that is totally preventable. I think the 
most shocking stat that I've seen, and I pass this one around a lot too, from the World Health Organization, and, and you guys will hear me quote them a lot because I'm a huge advocate for public health and the who is, is who we look to a lot of the time. They say between three and five million deaths annually can be attributed to insufficient physical activity. So it's definitely uh, an activity issue and sitting a lot. And, uh, but then we need to consider as well where the clinician comes into play. Uh, I think it's a lot of missed opportunities to use the gift of injury. So that opportunity where somebody presents to you when they're very vulnerable and they're hurt. Uh, and I know George mentioned behavioral modification at the beginning of the episode. We have a chance right then and there in our office to show them that movement is going to be what gets them back to full function and gets them back to being pain-free or close to it, or at least puts them in a position to manage what they're dealing with. And that's our chance to get them back to physical activity, but you miss that chance if you don't use movement as part of the treatment and all you do is, you know, adjust as a chiropractor or use an e-stim machine or ultrasound or a scraping tool if you're in chiro or physio. Um, and a lot of the time, in my opinion, that's, that's a big missed opportunity to capitalize there. So help me understand this, Aaron. So I know you touched on resistance training. You said that's, uh, that's something that we miss out on. Is that, if there's no injury, injury to anybody, you know, is that something that we can change anybody that's, you know, 100% healthy? Is that something you highly recommend right off the bat? Just pick that up and work that in a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not exclusive to somebody who's dealing with musculoskeletal pain. I think, you know, the, and it's tough because it is, there's a stigma <clears throat> with training. And this is something I'm trying to kind of tease out in my own mind, just give you guys some insight into what I'm thinking about opening up a practice. So like, I know I'm going to be renting space out of a gym, right? Because uh, low overhead and I'm going to have access to all the equipment I need. But the problem is my passion uh, as far as what demographic I want to treat and help the most is your geriatrics, uh, chronic pain patients, because I think they're the ones who can benefit from the, the most from my model. And with them, it's tough because there's this social stigma about the weight room and the weights uh, that everything's so dangerous and all these people are so macho and it's like so out of the ordinary. Like, like how many times have you guys seen like the viral video of like a grandma deadlifting, right? You just don't see it. And if you do see it, it's like crazy and makes the news. And I, I, I want so bad to be part of the change uh, to where that becomes like a social norm. Like I want everybody's grandma deadlifting, you know, like as crazy as that sounds like I, that, cause you, then we go back to frailty prevention. I mean, just aside from falling, right. Why do people go into assisted living because they can't get off the toilet and they've been totally robbed of your autonomy. What's, what's getting off the toilet. That's the deadlift and the squat, right. So that's kind of where that comes in for me. I mean, I just think it's so, so crucial. And, and I can pull the stats for you guys later on because uh, I don't know them off the top of my head. But as far as like um, mortality prevention, like 
non-communicable disease prevention, when you incorporate resistance training, it's like cancer rates drop off and heart disease rates drop off. And, it, and it's just such a, such a crucial piece that not nearly enough people get for just a wide variety of reasons, which is tough. So you've recognized these issues and you chose chiropractic. Now, I've heard a lot of doctors, um, a lot of people say that they don't believe in chiropractic and that it could be a scam and all that stuff. So as you recognize these issues, why choose to go be a chiropractor? Like what value and benefits does chiropractic apply to all those issues? <laughs> That's a good one too. Um, and it's one that I get from a lot of my, my classmates actually. Um, because a lot of my opinions in chiropractic are a little bit against the grain of what is traditional. And when I voice them a lot of the time, I'll get the question, well, why did you even pick chiropractic then? Uh, and honestly, like, I kind of I fell into it. I did. And, and I hear this story a lot too with, with people who uh, have a lot of the same perspective that I do. It's very common that they got into it because they knew somebody who they thought was great. So like for me, um, I grew up seeing a chiropractor uh, over in Excelsior and his name is Jason O'Donnell. So anybody who's listening, if you need a great chiropractor, Dr. Jason O'Donnell in Excelsior, he's the man. Um, he's also currently my preceptor in my clinical internship. Ironically enough, I was his patient and now I'm his intern, but he was so awesome with me with sports and keeping me healthy and keeping me on the field and all the work he did uh seemed so straightforward to me and consistent with what you would hear in, in mainstream medicine so i was like well this is what chiropractic is like what this guy is doing is awesome and i want to do it too and then i went to school and you know shame on me for not doing my due diligence and really researching the field and understanding uh what i was getting into but I went to school and got into the classes and some of them were awesome. And then there were parts of it uh, that I got introduced to kind of the, the more philosophical side of chiropractic, which I think is where a lot of the critiques from mainstream medicine come in. Um, and, and, and I was taken aback by them too, because I had no prior knowledge. So you hear terms like, like the chiropractic subluxation. I don't know if either of you have heard that used before. It's kind of the basis of, um, traditional chiropractic and how it all started, uh, correcting subluxations. And, and in chiropractic, those are defined as like mis spinal misalignments. Um, and then, and, but medicine has their own definition of what a subluxation is, and it's just a partial dislocation of a joint. But so they're similar, but the chiro definition has a lot more underlying meaning to it, and it's specific to your spine. And the whole profession was built on restoring uh, these subluxations to proper alignment so that, you know, and then it gets, it gets kind of messy from there. So, uh, and we can talk about that more if you guys want, but for me, um, once I got into chiropractic, I got exposed more to some of the, the other side of it that I'm not as, um, not quite as privy to. But that is why I picked it was because I had a, a really great experience myself before I started. Do one. All right. So, yeah, I understand that. But uh, now that you're in the field, 
how do you feel about the kind of uh, how the med other medical professions see chiropractic and do they, the fact that some of them see it as a scam and then also to add on to that what is the value of chiropractic like if a listener when the listeners are listening why would they why should they go see a chiropractor gotcha i'll start with the medical piece and then if i forget to touch on the why uh remind me but to start, um, how I feel about it, it's more uh, consistent and prevalent uh, for medical personnel to have kind of a distaste for us the older they are, honestly. Um, it, that, that's kind of fading a little bit, and we're, we are becoming more mainstream, which is encouraging. But uh, I can't say that their critiques of us are not pretty well earned. Um, there are a lot of really solid evidence-based providers out there who do pay attention to science and, uh, you know, care more about uh, kind of what the evidence is saying versus the older um, kind of more philosophical model of chiropractic. So like, for example, like you talk about that divide. Uh, one thing that's going on right now, it, it, it looks like a, like a civil war, honestly, on social media um, between the two kind of almost halves, honestly. And I don't know that it's necessarily really half and half, but the two sides in Cairo right now, um, one side is uh, people who think a little bit more like I do and, and care a lot about um, good science and making sure that um, we're kind of on the same page scientifically with our communication. But then the other side uh, still follows that philosophy model, which is if you correct subluxations, which are those partial misalignments in the spine, you optimize health. So you hear things like that, like optimize health, uh, maximize human potential, uh, brain body connection. Um, they'll talk about how adjusting those misalignments can have effects on your internal organs. So they'll talk about like how it can help your liver cirrhosis or your uh, heart disease or, you know, like all these crazy um, medical conditions. And they'll kind of extrapolate the idea of correcting misalignments in your spine to being able to treat some of those issues. Um, and, and the reason they do that is because obviously the spinal cord uh, is protective of your nervous system and your nervous system uh, connects to your central nervous system connects to the rest of the organs in your body. So they take that um, and kind of extrapolate what we know about human anatomy to try and say that we have these profound effects on areas outside of musculoskeletal health. So like a good example right now that's that's really firing people up, at least online, um, and definitely like with the state associations and the board, is with the coronavirus going on, there are a lot of chiropractors right now who are marketing um, that spinal adjusting can boost your immunity and your immune system, which obviously, given the current circumstances, is very appealing to people. Uh, because everybody's looking for ways to better prepare for the spread of the virus and they 
want to find ways to maximize, you know, their health and not get sick. And chiros are marketing like I've seen all kinds of claims like boost your immune system by 200 to 400 percent with with your chiro adjustment or your immune system uh, sustains a boost 20 minutes after every adjustment, stuff like that. And, and obviously you can kind of infer when the medical community sees things like that. And they're, to be honest, I mean, they're unsubstantiated claims. I know, I know the papers they're based off of. I know where they pull the resources from. I've read all of it. Um, and there's no solid evidence. I mean, it's a lot of weak studies that have a lot of holes in them as far as design and sample size. And then also there's never been any demonstration of any sort of like clinical relevance. Like they'll see these little jumps in certain immune factors, but it's never been shown to like have any like, like, yeah, you see the jump in the body, but what does that mean for the person's health? Like that's never been demonstrated. And so the medical community sees this stuff being touted by a chiropractor uh, telling people if they come in and get adjusted during the coronavirus, they have a better chance of not getting sick. And then I think you can kind of take it from there and see where that rift, you know, kind of comes from, which is tough, certainly. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then, so the second part of that question too was yeah. why, for the listeners, like why I pers- I see a chiropractor, I love it. Um, it my back is always after whenever I lift for a little bit, my back gets all out of whack. And so going there helps me a lot and it straightens me out. But like for the listeners that haven't been to the chiropractor, why should they go? Yeah. 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 Um, and I think it's important. I'm glad you asked. Cause like, I don't, you know, I, sometimes I spend a little bit too much time dwelling on the negative and I don't talk enough about some of the positive stuff we do. So um, as far as musculoskeletal conditions go, um, they, I really believe they're best managed conservatively and that is chiropractic. I mean, that's what we are. We are conservative musculoskeletal care therapists, just like a PT. Um, and so that being said, like there's so many surgeries out there right now that are being, uh, heavily challenged as far as like, how effective are they really? Um, especially in the literature right now, you know, rotator cuff repairs and labrum repairs and spinal fusion surgeries, injections, all this stuff uh, is kind of going through the ringer and has been. And with that being said, they're finding that comparing some of these surgeries with either a sham, so like a fake surgery or just good rehab and not doing the surgery at all the outcomes are actually coming out the same. So what that says to me is that we should be managing most of these cases that like when you, when you hear it in your head, like people think surgery, like maybe you hear rotator cuff tear, disc herniation, things like that. Um, I think it needs to become more of a norm that conservative care really gets a fair trial of care before anyone starts thinking about, you know, cutting anyone open. Or anything like that. So, so musculoskeletal conditions, conservative care management, the chiropractor is is optimal for that for sure. Especially considering, like we talked about, health span, lifespan earlier, um, and how well medicine has done boosting lifespan. 
Um, but again, we, as far as like, we have the highest low back pain is the number one cause of disability worldwide, low back pain, you know? So like you hear these big, scary health conditions like heart disease and, and cancer and all this stuff, but what's, what's some of the biggest drains on the healthcare system, uh, you know, just from a money standpoint, uh, and then disability rates and like how it's shutting people down and taking them out of work, low back pain, ironically enough. And so that's where we really need to kind of take that and run with it. Cause right now the medical system is begging for somebody to take these chronic pain cases, low back pain cases, neck pain cases, and do a better job than what the orthopedists are currently doing. And I think we can do that and we've shown that. So I would say for somebody dealing with musculoskeletal health, the chiropractor is a great option. The only trouble is with us, it's a chiropractic, I would say it's like the wild, wild west. You don't know what you're gonna get. And there's a very wide range of philosophies among practitioners. So that's kind of where the struggle comes in a little bit. Yeah, interesting. Comparison to the wild, wild west. I feel like I'm out in the wilderness right now, but I need your guidance to help get me through the Oregon Trail here, Aaron. What can we start doing? Probably like, we'll, we'll call it 20s, 30s, maybe 40s. What's something the pre-lower back pain generation, if you will, can do literally today? Just four or five things that can help us on an everyday basis avoid this problem. Yeah, and it is, I mean so much of uh so much of what we deal with now as a society as far as non-communicable disease whether it be dis debilitating back pain or or diabetes or uh heart disease or you know depression obesity all this stuff um that like most of us have uh can be prevented by just good physical activity uh and good information so as far as what people can do now, uh, first of all, it falls on the clinician to inform people better. Um, and I'll touch on that again in a little bit. But uh, as far as actionable steps, I'm, I'm right now, me and a few, a good handful of other providers across fields, uh, we all f fall under this uh, banner, first principles of movement. Uh, again, led by uh, my mentor, Dr. Craig Liebenson. And what we're doing right now is kind of a social media blitz to show people, give demonstrations of at-home exercise. So a lot of body weight stuff. Um, I, I posted one today. It's meant to be a little bit more funny, but somewhat serious. Um, I did, it was like a sled pull, except I would just had my neighbor sit on a rug and drag them across the kitchen and like did it down and back for like we timed it. And then we just had everybody do time trials and run down the back of the kitchen. We did that for like an hour. So uh, right now we're kind of on this blitz to just show people how to be active and really putting out good work and good write-ups, uh, citing papers and stuff. So people see not only the benefits of physical activity, but also understanding, you know, the price to be paid if we, if we aren't active and we aren't proactive. You know, you talk about what well, can we do now to save us down the road? And it is, you know, like you talked about earlier, behavioral modification, start habit stacking, start, you know, getting into routines 
learning how to weight lift and learning how to uh, exercise on a consistent basis is just so important as far as moving through your 20s and 30s, getting to be 40 and 50, and making sure that you're not developing non-communicable diseases that come with that sedentary and inactive lifestyle. Fascinating. I do agree that it seems in today's society being stationary is so common, especially obviously in the workplace, we're not moving. And then when we get home, people start watching Netflix, they play video games, they're on their computers, they're on social media. So we're, as a society, we have become so inactive. And it, it's, I mean, I can almost say that I was a part of that inactive group for a while there during college. I would you know, go play basketball every now and then. But a lot of the times I was just coming home, eating crap, and then not doing anything. And so I think that plays a huge role. Yeah, and I mean, we talk about behavioral modification and that, that to me, what chiropractic is, is behavioral medicine. It's not, you know, just cracking someone's back um, and sending them home. We're looking at behavior change. And it's, it's the hardest part of our job, but it's also without a doubt, the most important and the most impactful as far as sustainability, because when you get somebody in your office, you know, um, you don't see them for, if you're doing things the way I prefer, which is not having people, you know, on these, see me twice a week for the, for the rest of your life kind of things. You're, you want to get them out of pain, give them some good information and send them. I'm not trying to hold my patients prisoners. So uh, you're not with them forever. And a true test of whether or not you've done a good job, in my opinion, is, so let's say I treat you for back pain, Jake, and you feel better and you leave my office. And I say, if you got any questions, let me know. And then 10, and you don't have back pain for 10 more years, but then 10 years down the road, you tweak your back. And the true test of whether or not I did a good job is, Exhibit A would be a failure, which is, Jake says, oh, my back hurts. I need Aaron, right? Exhibit B is the success. And what I think is most important, where Jake tweaks his back and says, oh, man, my back hurts. But Aaron showed me these really good techniques and gave me good information about how to make my back feel better and how to manage my pain. So I don't need to go see him again because I know what to do. And if I need a refresher, I can reach out to him. And if I try the stuff he taught me and it doesn't work, I can go. But I'm going to try this first because he taught me something. I think that's a lot more uh, valuable, you know. And, and that is the, the behavior change, giving people tools and instilling something that's sustainable beyond the visit. And I just – that's kind of my knock on, on adjusting, really. The spinal adjustment, it's evi it is evidence-based because – it's been demonstrated nonstop that it can help people with pain and it can improve their function. But my riff on it is, yeah, okay, we improve your pain, improve your function, but A, for how long? And B, what did you do as the patient? Because like I said, 10 years down the road, you know, I don't want you to be like, Aaron needs to crack my back again. I want you to have, uh, strategies that you can roll out and and kind of fix your own back, so to speak. I think that's really important. And that's what you just don't quite get with the adjustments, that high level of self-efficacy from the patient. Ah, 
I didn't think about it that way, Aaron. And in terms of if you're successful or not, are you arming your patients with the necessary tools to move forward and, you know, be self-sufficient at that point? Um, and so I got to know, I'm asking for the general public, is there a certain way I should be sleeping in my bed? Am I putting myself at risk if I'm on my side? I'm a sleeper. I, I got to know now. A very chiropractor question. It's really good. Um, again, I'm biased, you know, uh, so people are going to give a lot of different answers, but to me and sleep posture, and I mean, I give the same explanation that I would give somebody for standing posture, right? Because like you think about the chiropractor and you think I, at least from the people I know, you think two things, you think, getting your back cracked and you think about talking about posture, right? So for me, I always say, and this goes for sleep too. The next, your best posture is your next posture. There's no one perfect way to sit. You don't have to be like this, you know, per sitting and the people can't see me sitting perfectly straight up with my head back over my shoulder, my chest up and my low back straight. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not so cut and dry. Musculoskeletal care is a soft science. There's, there's nothing that's really, really set in stone. So uh, as far as posture, as far as sleep posture, do whatever makes you comfortable. Um, for me, most of the stuff I do treatment-wise and talking to patients and giving education, a lot of it does not have to do with, hey, you need to sit this way. Because, like, I think with pain, you see – not so much a correlation between pain and any one particular posture, but pain and one sustained position for a really long time. So if I just sit perfectly still in the best posture ever, I'm still probably going to get sore because I'm not moving at all. So really the take home message there is move. So as far as sleep, man, get some comfortable pillows and pick whatever position works best for you. But I, I, I am always hesitant to say, yeah, this is how you need to be sleeping. Yeah, this is how you need to sit or stand. You know, there's a lot of ways, to, a lot of roads to roam. So it's not, it's not quite so cut and dry that way. And kind of going off the whole posture thing, it also seems like that is a large cause of a lot of issues today because people have such terrible posture. I mean, even – me and George talk about a lot is like jaws. And so they have poor, poor facial posture when you're sitting down and it all kind of comes into one. I know you said you didn't have any like sleep posture. You don't need to sleep a certain way, but for the people that are out working a desk job, I have noticed that I kind of slouch. I've been becoming more aware and mindful of that. Is that, it's going to be a two part question. Here. Is that bad? Is so should I work on my sitting posture and then also when you're I'm at work a lot too I'm also cracking my knuckles and neck a lot is that bad for me <laughs> uh no <laughs> it's not you crack away I mean it's so for the posture thing it's like I said it's you're the best posture is the next posture you do you can sit slouched all day it's about the sustained position so it doesn't matter how you sit per se. I'll say this, like if you sit a one certain way and it makes your back hurt, 
I won't sit that way. Just sit a different way. But I'm not going to be like, hey, it has to be this way. This is the way that's going to make your back not hurt. You just got to find that position. And then on top of that, like, it always, like I'm such a big advocate for movement. That's my bias. I, my advice is for the desk jockey, it's not to, to uh, pick a special posture or wear one of those stupid – you guys seen those things like you put them on your back and they buzz and, like, remind you to sit up? <laughs> like, Electric shock collar. Yeah, you're not putting a dog shot collar on your back and reminding you to sit up straight. Just schedule times in your schedule to just get up and move a little bit and like take a lap or go walk outside or, or something like that. I think that is a lot more effective than just telling. Because then like what happens when I, once I tell you to sit this certain special way and it doesn't work because you're still like really nothing's changed. You're sitting differently, but you're also still completely still in one position for the entire day. So then what happens? And you're like, well, now what? Right. So I think that it's better to give different strategies than to, to pick one posture. And then for the knuckles, crack your knuckles, crack your neck. Yeah. There's no, you're not going to hurt yourself. There's nothing saying that you're going to get arthritis or anything like that. I know that's the big one is, Oh, I crack my knuckles. I'll get arthritis or whatever. Um, no, it's when a joint gaps. So when it opens, you pull it open it's just nitrogen gas opens and closes. You just hear that little pop. That's all. It's nothing special. It's, I always joke because I think it's so crazy to think about if just physiologically speaking, the human body, like for whatever reason, when our joints open and shut and move, if for some reason they didn't make that cracking noise, the chiropractor probably wouldn't exist. I don't think it would have ever even been started because part of the initial reason this this whole profession began was because we were convincing people that their bones were out of place and that we were pushing the bone back into place and what makes that more convincing is an audible sound that is like the feedback saying yep it's back in place you pushed it back in but now we know that's not true so like if chiropractic tried to be invented today it would have never happened the fact that the joint makes that noise like if it didn't do that i'm not even sure we would exist which is crazy because it, the noise is so insignificant. It doesn't matter, which is just nuts to me. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Maybe uh, the chiropractor is all built on the, uh, the aesthetics of the sound of your neck, your neck cracking. You know, you don't know. You don't know. Maybe I like watching football because I hear the crowd noise. Same thing. We'll find out if it's still uh, <laughs> no fans for example. But uh, another <laughs> thing I got to know, this probably be a little quicker one. This might be even a yes or no. So I saw one of my coworkers. She had her, um, her computer monitors tilted up a little bit, and she was kind of craning her neck upward. And I was like, why are you doing that? You look like you're putting stress on your neck. And she said, to reduce wrinkles in my neck as I get older. And I was like, I don't think that's going to be worth it in the long haul. But then I started thinking, do you want to be, you know, looking down at your monitor at work? Do you want to be, obviously, you want to be looking level, but is there a science behind either, like, looking up a little bit or down or... In general, neck placement. How can I avoid neck pain? What feels better to you? Right ahead, baby. Then put it that way. That's what you do. And then you stay active and you work out. You take good care of yourself and then you don't have neck pain. And then if you do get neck pain, you come talk to somebody like me and I'll give you good advice on how to kind of get out of that. But it's, that's, it's right back to behavioral modification. It comes back to 
we don't need to fix stuff, right? Because bones don't go back into place. So maybe there's nothing really to fix. More of it is just educating, giving strategies on how to, you know, decrease how sensitive our neck is and maybe tweaking certain things throughout the workday, but it's rarely ever a, a fix. Like we don't, we don't fix, you know what I mean? So um, yeah, whatever feels best. I love keeping it simple. I think that works for a lot of people. That is. Yeah. That sounds like it'd be the best way. Um, and so, I mean, as we're kind of wind down here, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts, final words, something, what's the most important thing for the listener to take away from this? Yeah. Um, for me, I'm a really big advocate. Um, and I think I demonstrate this through my social media quite a bit. I'm a really big advocate of, of patience um, challenging their providers and, and kind of being their own advocate because everybody wants like best care, like, right. I mean, so there, to be fair, there is a market for people who want care that kind of falls outside of the realm of science. Like there is a market for that. Right. But I, I would think that it's the sentiment of the majority of people that when they're dealing with a healthcare provider, like a chiropractor, they're trusting that um, best practices and evidence are in mind. So what I would like for the public is to kind of know that and know that the chiropractor should be on that level. So challenge them and be like, well, why is this my treatment? Why are we doing it this way? And being aware of like kind of the common misconceptions out there because we just have such a tendency to like and, and the people who do this the most are are really well-meaning clinicians and like a lot of the time they're not even aware that they're doing it i know i've done it to people too it's a term called nociboing so like it, both of you have heard the term placebo right mm -hmm. which is like somebody gets a more positive experience more because of the context than because of what actually happened so a nocebo is the exact opposite um and in the chiropractic realm it's we say something to somebody like your bones are out of place. Like you, yep, your, your right, your C4 vertebrae is out of alignment, right? That can be nocebic to somebody because then you crack them and you put it back in quote unquote, which is not true. You crack them and then they're like, Oh, it's back in but then they're scared that they're going to do something activity wise that'll put it back out. So you make them fragile. That's the nocebo. And like the same thing goes with like slapping a label on everything. So like if, if we tell somebody that they need more stability and they're unstable, or we tell somebody that they're like, they're, Oh, you're just so tight. You're so tight. You have all these trigger points and these fascial adhesions and it just, it's a really slippery slope between giving somebody good info and giving somebody, because like people hold on to the words of their healthcare provider. And like, you just talk about like disc herniations. How many times have you heard like an old dude just talking to his friends like, oh yeah, herniated L4-5 and they're like, wear it like as a badge of honor, right? But it, it, for a lot of people that can be debilitating because once you start going down that route of like slapping disc herniations on people and slapping like all these pain syndromes like like uh upper cross syndrome which is like the forward head carriage thing 
and just all these labels, you feel like you're giving them good, valuable information that they want. But sometimes if it's not delivered properly, or maybe it's just inaccurate, um, you can have this unintended effect of making people fearful of movement and making them feel fragile when really like the diagnosis in reality is that they're just human and they're dealing with something that's a normal variant and you just need to coach them through it a little bit instead of slapping on this label, making them feel like they're broken and then putting them into the vicious cycle that happens way too often. So like my, my, my thing with the public is find somebody who you think is honest and equip yourself with good info. And then when you're not sure, challenge them and really get a good explanation because it's just, it just happens way too often in, in musculoskeletal care in general that um, we label people and we make them feel like they're fragile when really in reality, we're all really resilient. The body's not meant to break down. It's built to last. We're all strong and we're all fully capable of being active, being strong, getting through our day. And we don't need to be convincing the public that they're broken. Wise words. That's uh, I think you just, uh, the whole episode, you gave, gave a lot of good, helpful information. I think a lot of people will take a lot of that away or a lot of good stuff away from this. Dude, honestly, you should start about thinking like, or think about starting like a uh, chiropractic like podcast. Yeah, a lot of good info. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on today. Uh, I think uh, hopefully be getting this out soon. And so a lot of good stuff. George, Thank you. I know we had some troubles with uh, Zoom, but uh, we got it figured out. And uh, yeah, so good stuff. And uh, thanks, everybody. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yep, I'm going to keep sleeping the way I sleep. And uh, we love all our <laughs> listeners, all of us on Instagram, Twitter. We'll get a Venmo soon if you want to Venmo us for Aaron's wise words. But uh, Aaron, thank you again. And uh, everybody stay safe out there. Take care of your posture.